Welcome to building a successful startup with Union Square Ventures, SoundCloud, and the Football App at the Apple Store, Kefirsten Dam. Please now welcome our guest moderator, Lindsay Fryatt. Hi everyone, and welcome to tonight's event. Thank you very much for all coming. I'm quite lonely on stage just now, so before we kick off, if you'll excuse the pun, I'd like to bring on my fellow panellists to the stage. So first up, I'd like to introduce Lucas von Kranach from the Football App. <laughs> Swiftly followed by Andy Carvel from SoundCloud. And last but not least, Brad Burnham from Union Square Ventures. Thank you very much for joining me, gentlemen. Um, tonight, we're going to be discussing what makes a successful startup and also the, network, the concept of networked communities. So whether that means simply social media, whether that means online learning, music sharing, sports services, fitness platforms, the chances are that most of us in this room and many millions beyond it use at least one network community at least once a day. So what makes for a successful network community? What are the key values and learnings for any brand that want to make an impact in this space? And how do you continue to keep an easily distracted online audience engaged and entertained and coming back for more? And how will mobile change the face of these network communities? That's quite a lot of questions in one go. Um, fortunately, I'm joined by um, a panel who are well-placed to answer these. So I'd like to introduce them a little bit further than, than previously. Lucas is CEO and founder of iLiga, also known as the Football App. So thanks to a mixture of minute-by-minute -minute editorial, exhaustive fixtures and live results, and perhaps most importantly, a massively engaged online community, the football app has managed to top 11 million downloads, is that right? It's 12. 12, 12 million downloads, I stand corrected. And over 4.5 million active users per month, yeah. Um, plus a hugely impressive 40% retention rate since you began four years ago. So, yeah, welcome to the stage. Thanks. Um, and to your left is Andy from SoundCloud. Hi, Andy. Hi. Andy Carvel. And you're growth manager of mobile at SoundCloud. Yep, Sorry. Correct. And in case you haven't heard of SoundCloud, um, it's the world's leading audio platform that enables anyone anywhere to create and share originally created sounds across the web. And he has over 13 years of mobile experience, including the development of the original Space Impact game. So thanks for that. <laughs> um, and you're, all, you're responsible for the growing of the mobile user base in SoundCloud uh, through data-driven product marketing. Creators in SoundCloud now post over 12 hours of original content per hour, every minute, sorry, every minute. Every minute, that that's, that's right. incredible. Um, with a reach of 250 million people per month. Yep. Correct. Okay, welcome, Andy, thank you. And last but not least is Brad Burnham, who you might recognize from this picture above too. Brad is managing partner at Union Square Ventures, the New York-based VC firm that he created with Fred Wilson in 2003. They describe themselves as a small collegial partnership that manages $650 million across four funds. 
Their portfolio includes some names you may have heard of, um, such as Twitter, Foursquare, Etsy, Kickstarter, Skillshare, Duolingo, <coughs> Codecademy, Meetup, Halo, Dwalla. I could go on. Uh, and of course, SoundCloud and the football app. They say they look for investments that have the potential to fundamentally transform important markets. So we'll find out what that means later on too. So let me kick off with Brad. Hi, welcome. Thank you. Um, Union Square Ventures has, as we've just heard, an impressive pedigree on the, of brands on the roster. And all of them engage users in quite a meaningful way. Is that something that you look for? Is that key to an investment for you guys? And if so, why? Um, yes. And uh, the, the reason, I think, is also something that you mentioned briefly in, in introducing us, and that is um, that we look for opportunities to change the structure of markets. So if you think about the way the venture capital industry used to work, um, you know, when, you, when people were investing in switches and routers and chips and sort of core infrastructure stuff, you're, you know, the, the highest possible outcome or the most likely possible outcome was that you were going to create something that was 10 times faster and 10 times cheaper, <coughs> get it to a point where you could ship it and then sell it to Cisco or some other existing company. Um, but they were not changing the structure of the market. They were working within the market. Um, and those opportunities are in some ways capped as a result. But if you think about the total size of uh, the audience for football around the world or the total uh, size of the audience that consumes music or sound around the world, um, and you think about the ways in which they receive those, that, that uh, information, that content today, um, it's really a customer-supplier relationship. And when you shift to a network model, all of a sudden you shift to a, a partnership that's fundamentally different, and that creates the opportunity for a completely new way of structuring that market. And both of these companies are, uh, you know, sort of the leading edge of that transformation. That's sure. why we're excited about them. Yeah, and presumably it leads for more customer retention as well. If you have a community, per se, then people are, are, are passionate and actively involved. Absolutely, in they're it. invested. They, yeah. it's, it's theirs. It's not... It's not the relationship you have with a supplier where you, 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 know, you think of them as sort of delivering something to you for a price. Th these are communities that you are personally invested in, that you are creating, mm -hmm. that, um, that you, your, you know, your energy and your brand are a part of uh, as an individual. So that, that wasn't possible before. Sure. And what attracted you to these two particular companies? What got your VC senses tingling? Like. So um, we're thesis-oriented investors, so we are not really filter feeders, and so we don't just see a bunch of stuff coming across the desk and go, that looks interesting, that looks interesting. Um, we um, come up with a perspective on what we think is happening, and we've talked about that already tonight. We've talked <coughs> about the opportunity to transform markets as a result of the you know, availability of networking across the globe now through the Internet. And, um, and then so we started going and looking at, at markets and, and looking for, you know, way, you know, markets that are likely to be transformed and then looking for companies operating in those markets. And so um, <coughs> I think both SoundCloud and uh, the football app uh, fit that ca category. And so we have, you know, it's not, it's not a, 
it'd be uh, incorrect for me to sort of pretend that you know, we, we do this massive survey and then we identify the three things that we want and go get them. It's kind of a, a co-evolution of our thesis and our experience in the market working with the companies that we work with. Um, but over time, you develop a kind of pattern recognition. You say, okay, we're interested in this general area. Mm -hmm. And then as a company comes through, you go, whoa, they, they're something special. And you've already mentioned some of the things that are special. One of the things that's special about the football app is its retention rate. Um, I think we see more typically a 20% retention rate, you know, six months after a download. And these guys have double that. So there's something special going on there. Um, and SoundCloud is, is engaging, you know, people who don't think of themselves as um, making the music industry, but in ways that are enabling them to participate in an industry that they were locked out of before, and that seems special to us. Sure, okay, so you look for sort of best in category within a certain vertical, or something interesting well within that, I category. Well, I mean, that's true. I think that, that um, ideally, one, one of the things that you'll see in our portfolio is that we, we try to identify um, unique opportunities. Um, so when you say best in class, it assumes that there are five choices. There were not five SoundClouds that we could pick from. There was only one. And there were not five football apps that we could pick from. Um, you know, and so I think that's you know, usually good, some, something like Kickstarter. There, you know, when we made that investment, there are a number of crowdfunding platforms today, but when we made that investment, there was nothing else like it out there. So it's not that we're looking for a best in class. We're looking for um, a business model, a community that has the opportunity to change the structure of a market. And uh, usually when we find it, um, it's the only one out there. Okay. Now to Lucas, you guys, uh, uh, yeah, as we've mentioned, uh, you've got some impressive num numbers, but you flew under the radar for a lot of people. Um, for a long time, despite having been around for four years. Um, were you deliberately focused on solely building a user base and your brand, and you, you didn't really court that kind of that mainstream publicity? So, um, first of all, somebody has to take care of it if you want to manage PR marketing. Uh, this means, uh, from for my instance, it's distracting. So. Uh, we thought that, first of all, we need to have the best product in place and um, deliver this to the market, gain traction, and talk about it when you're there. And instead of talking about an idea, which barely, I mean, can be copied, yeah? Mm -hmm. But I think it's, it's, uh, it wasn't really intended uh, in the first way, but... Um, I think the, the, the best case for us was that nobody really had us on the radar um, in terms of competition. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, I mean, you can say a local publisher in Germany or a focused on sports or football is a competitor and they could figure out some stuff, but um, I think we didn't even give them the chance to look, to look at us properly because we didn't talk about us. And we, the, the product is core. And if the users like the product and they recommend the product, if you have good ratings in the App Store, you get promotion from Apple, from Google, from all your partners where you distribute the application. And this is actually the best case for us in terms of PR and promotion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
But how did you get that initial traction from starting from zero brand awareness? Was that all word of mouth? How, how do you do that? How do you get to that point where it becomes networked? So I didn't do that by myself. That, that would have been taking me a bit too how long. How does one but do that? Um, uh, I think, uh, so we didn't he really had have the, the network features in the application in the beginning to really have the network effects out of it. Um, we were lucky that I have to admit that we were one of the first uh, applications out there doing sports and football. I think we were one of the first thousand apps on, on, the, uh, on the iPhone. So that gave us traction, definitely. But, um, you know, having a success doesn't mean that this will last hmm. forever. So we, have to, we had to iterate the product. And we can definitely say that we're still a year or a year and a half ahead the competition, if you call it competition, the local publishers, yeah, which is uh, <coughs> difficult. But I think that that was the lucky part. And uh, the, the effective part or the good part of the people supporting this idea was bringing again and again iteration and bringing the best product to the market. And Andy, same question sort of to you. I mean, SoundCloud has had quite a unique um, user acquisition strategy too. And you guys have spent a lot of time and a lot of effort on quite grassroots events and holding very localized music events or hackathons um, and, and, and building those brand ambassador relationships. Again, was that something that was really core to your strategy from the very beginning, or was it something that you, you had to improvise because you were bootstrapping? Or? Uh, no, I think it was absolutely core. If you, um, uh, our founders, Eric and Alex, both of those guys are like very sort of passionate sound creators themselves, and I think like a lot of great products and services, it came from sort of scratching their own itch, yeah. really. They, they sort of had a, a problem which they saw in, in the marketplace and, and they solved it for themselves by building something unique and a, a new way to share sound easily across the web and, and, and later to mobile. Um, and I think it came very naturally um, you know, to those guys to, to really start with the people that they understood and really you know, work with the, the sound creators, with the audio creators out there to, to help them to, yeah, to share their sounds and to build an audience. So when you talk about um, brand ambassadors, yeah, that's really something that we've tried to empower our community to be. And you know, we have such a powerful, a passionate community of, of users out there who are you know, creating amazing new kinds of like music and audio and really uh, disseminating that to the whole world. And when we see great examples of that in our community, we, we absolutely want to, to showcase it um, and also to try and get those people even more involved. So we have, for example, the SoundCloud Heroes uh, program where we, we select uh, particularly passionate and active users in particular cities and they become the, the SoundCloud hero for that city. Um, and then they organize meetups and events. So we get that kind of local brand ambassador hmm. status like all over the world and that really helps us scale. Um, and then also you mentioned Hack Days, that's um, the sort of the other side of the community and the ecosystem that we're building because we're not just a, uh, you know, we're not just a website or a mobile app, um, we're, we're also an open platform. So uh, that means that anybody can build apps with our API that, that um, contribute sounds to SoundCloud or that 
enable people to discover or listen on SoundCloud. And uh, yeah, it's so it's it's really natural again that we would we would go to places where there are people building great apps. So we have the the Music Hack Day where in 24 hours people build great new music experiences on on mobile or on web. Um, you know, using the SoundCloud API. So. Okay. Have either of you any s spent any money on uh, traditional marketing, on uh, on advertising, or anything like that? Yeah, th I think um, if you don't try, then you don't know what the result is. So uh, we spend some money on advertising, and actually in the mobile space, um, <coughs> using uh, Facebook mobile app installs, for instance, mm. There are very, very effective ways of spending advertising today, um, um, really focusing on user acquisition, not on brand marketing. Um, but I mean, in the <coughs> end, you will figure out that the organic growth is always the best. Yeah? So recommendation by a friend instead of placing banners somewhere is the most effective way in terms of user retention rate. Yeah? So yeah. it's. It's good to know what your user retention rate is when you spend marketing to, at a later stage, to probably boost the product. But I think in the first step, if you don't manage to, to get the organic growth working, then, yeah. then it's just, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, a growing system which doesn't work. I would totally echo those points. You've, you've got to have good retention before you put any kind of spend behind like user acquisition, otherwise you're really literally just throwing money away mm. because you're buying users and they're, they're just going to leave. So and it's not our money. Right. But I mean, we, we, we do do some paid acquisition now. Um, we also, uh, yep, we're running campaigns on Facebook app installs and, and some other mobile and, and web channels. And I think we've also done some limited like, brand campaign stuff mm. as well. Um, but yeah, I would, I would totally agree with Lucas. Nothing beats a recommendation from a friend. If, if somebody is really passionate about your product to the point where they're going to show it to somebody else, it's quite hard to measure that sometimes, mm. but it's, it's really, uh, really valuable. Yeah, sure. I, I think that there's one, one thing. That there's a big difference in between online and mobile because actually when you spend money, it's, it, you, you have the rankings in the app stores. And that's a total different metrics regarding uh, in, or in, in uh, comparison to, to online. So if you manage or if you have a good service and, for example, we localize into Turkey and we want to get visibility in the market because we don't have any users, then there's a way of getting visibility th through spending some money on one day, getting up in the rankings and then kind of hoping for uh, the organic growth. So that's a metric which is very special for mobile, or it only works on mobile. So f for that reason, you really should look into it. Mm. And especially when you are in a model which is not a network, but an e-commerce model, when you know this is what I pay for a user, yeah, then it makes sense to, sp to do this marketing spend. But in, <coughs> in terms of a community, I think it doesn't really apply. Yeah. Um, I mean, something that, that's a strength of both your brands and the topics that you cover and, and, and the market you address is that it's, it's, it's very tribal. You know, it's, it's, it's people who are going to be very loyal and very tribal. It's music and football. You know, is it about finding 
a, a niche or a speciality, if you like, and, and just thinking on a global scale, but making sure you address like quite a, a, a specific need and that's for anyone to answer. Um, yeah, sure, I'll go first. I'll, I'll just make one small correction. You know, we're not just a platform for music, but actually any kind of sound, any kind of audio. So we, we also have some great um, like spoken word content on the platform, comedians, podcasters, etc. Um, but uh, yeah, your point is still totally valid, and I think yeah, we uh, we're quite lucky really to be working in that space because I think sound transcends so much of the so many of the barriers that that might be there in, in bringing people together and, and building a bigger community. Um, I mean, it's sounds brings an emotional connection to people and, and it transcends language as well. So when we're talking about building a, a global community, uh, it's, it's amazing to, to have that kind of audio component as the, the sort of cornerstone of it all. Yeah, and Lucas, I guess that some of those points are, are the same for the football app. Yeah, I mean, we're very lucky because in the end we're talking about emotions. And uh, yeah. so the dependency of a football fan as I am, uh, I'm not allowed to talk about brands, but I support Cologne, which is a second division club. And there you really have to be a fan. Yeah? And when I see this emotion, this is the dependency I have towards the content. And when you have this dependency and the emotion, you want to share this emotion and you want to share it with your friends. So, and this is, I would say, the best basic to start a, a network. But uh, one thing I have to add, it's, it's it's, it's you, you have generic um, features and, and options which would work across the globe. But if you want to really want to build a community around content, then you have to understand the local needs in terms of, you know, the, the, the Italian football fan, he doesn't care if the German product is good in terms of content. Or if, if and that, that's, that's a key to success, to really, not only focus on global, that understand local markets. Yeah, sure. So make a global product, but make sure you're paying close attention to local markets. Exactly. There's, there's a really interesting way to look at this. Um, if you think about uh, what the internet is, it's, it's an internet. It's, the, it's a network of networks. It connects networks. And if you think about the two examples we're talking about, uh, there are passionate fans of football clubs who, you know, who are this close tribal community and have a lot to talk about there, um, <clears throat> but they are connected, you know, to other fans. And so it's, you know, uh, and, and if you think about SoundCloud, you'll have, you know, people who are, I bet you a lot of poetry slams and things like that. So there'll be, you know, this passionate group of people who have nothing to do with another group of people who are interested in, um, you know, podcasts for stand-up comedy or music or whatever, but um, each of those networks is connected and it's the power of being, uh, of being able to be very closely linked with a core group that you share something very intimate with and yet I, I may be a poetry slam fan who is also a music fan and so, and so there's, you know, the, now you multiply the, the value of that network. So um, one of the common characteristics of these networks is that they work in the very intimate scale and they work at a global scale and it's because of that network of networks capability. Sure, yeah, and Brad, two of Union Square's other famous investments um, are Twitter and Tumblr um, and 
again, I mean, you've mentioned the, your, your ethos for, for investing. And <coughs> if you're investing in things that don't have a proven business model, that's a bit more of a, a risk. It's a bigger risk. And it's great to say, yes, you know, this is, this is our ethos when we go for, for these incredibly interesting and disruptive um, brands. But how, what, what made you tingle again when you when you so heard um, of it's interesting it? that that you that you phrase it that way because um, you know we learn a lot as I mentioned in working with these companies and when we first sat down with um, Ev and Biz at and Jack at at Twitter uh, it was 2007 the spring of 2007 and. Um, they had just come out of South by and a bunch of folks that we respected a lot you were talking about them and saying this there's something going on here there's something really interesting here um, it's really useful to me or you know something's happening um, at the time there were um, they had no money uh, they had taken no investment Evid funded it himself um, and uh, they were just beginning to think about raising some money and they had one other conversation, I think it was with Benchmark, and the Benchmark folks said, um, I don't see the business here, you know, so when you guys work out a deal with a carrier to get some cut of the SMS minutes that you're generating, come back and talk to us. And, and when, when we got in there, we, we said, you know, oh, uh, you know, we don't see the business either, <laughs> but if, we saw the business, it almost by definition means it's not disruptive enough because it's, you know, if you can see the business and uh, exactly as the benchmark guy said, that that was defining an, exact, an existing business relationship that was well understood, could be executed, could have been executed by them, but had they executed it, it wouldn't have been Twitter. Um, and so I think we look, you know, the reason we got excited is because of the engagement, because of the things that we were hearing from uh, the people, people who we respected who found value in it and were using it and because of the conviction that it could scale organically um, and that eventually if it created a lot of value for a lot of people there would be some model for, for creating value for someone, shareholders, somehow. So, um, and that was true of Tumblr. You know, when we first met David Karp, um, he was running a little consulting firm called Davidville and he was basically building websites for a bunch of different people and he had a bunch of different projects going and he had done this thing called Tumblr which he just done for some friends and it was just bubbling along on the side but we looked at it and we saw the numbers and the numbers were just going like this and we said David you know <laughs> this other stuff it's all good but take a look at what's going on here and we actually had to convince him to drop some of the other stuff which is actually not that unusual because a, an entrepreneur like David, who's so product driven and so passionate about creating things, in some ways looks at the focus on a single product as being limiting. And it took us a little convincing to convince him that if you think about it as you're creating a thing and you know he felt like I created it, I'm done, it's bubbling, um, then you sort of want to move on and create another thing. But if you think about it as a community, you realize, oh my God, I've just started. I've just, it's just starting. And, and you know, when in that series of conversations with David, he ultimately did double down and say, okay, we're, we're gonna go make this thing, so. Yep, sure, so it's the model of, of, of build it and the revenue will come eventually. Yeah, I mean, so I, uh, I mean, we is were that, also is that, is investors that in a- Is more difficult? Is it it's, so it's, it's, 
I don't like that characterization because I think it makes us sound sort of irresponsible in some way. Um, but I also would argue that a, a lot of investors in Europe are probably too uh, focused on the revenue model and too focused on the potential exits. And that, I think, traps them in this problem of you can only work within the existing structure of the existing market. Um, but the, you know, we were also investors in a company called Indeed. Um, Indeed, uh, built by a couple of guys who actually went to school over here in INSEAD, uh, but built in the US. It was a search engine for jobs. Um, they raised um, $5 million in total um, and ultimately sold the billion for a reported, uh, you know, billion something. Um, and um, they were able to do that because they built revenue with lock in, in lockstep. Now, in their case, um, the revenue model was actually a pretty understood, rev well understood revenue model. It was paid search, it was defined by Google, it was working really well, but they deployed it in a market where Google couldn't really reach because a lot of the employment, a lot of the employment ads or a lot of the employment job listings on company websites were buried behind a, um, a database, so you had to actually trick that database into exposing them, so that's called the deep web. Um, and they knew how to do that, and Google wasn't doing that, so they exposed a bunch of content that became searchable through them, and then they just used a well-understood business model to build the business and the revenue in lockstep. So it's not like we say, oh, <coughs> revenue, we don't want to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, okay. Now, retention, coming back to that, it's one thing to create a strong community, but um, Andy and Lucas, how do you ensure that you get those users that to, to come back, to keep using your product? Uh, well, uh, I'm, I'm sure Lucas will say the same, but it's like, again, you, you've got to have a great product there. You've got to have a great experience. You've got to be delivering value. And uh, there's no amount of marketing trickery or, you know, uh, push messaging strategy or, you know, any, any particular technique that you can use that's going to bring people and keep them there if, if the product is not giving them something that they want and it's not delivering value. But um, definitely, I think when you, when you have start to have a community of, of passionate users who are seeing value in your product and, and really engaging with it, um, then I think that it's, it's really important to nurture that community. And that's definitely something that SoundCloud has tried to do and I think has, has done pretty well at. Um, it's about making those users feel, feel safe. It's about trying to keep out sort of bad members of that community as much as possible. Um, yes, as the community grows, you're always going to have disruptive elements and so it's about sort of setting the, the standard for the community, highlighting and showcasing really great examples of, of good community citizenship mm. um, and yeah really encouraging good behavior on the platform I guess and, and really sort of highlighting great use cases and so for example with, with SoundCloud we have um, a thing called SoundClouder of the day where we, we highlight every day like a, a great SoundCloud example of, of a, a creator who's doing something novel or interesting with, with music or audio and is, is really engaging in a positive way with the platform. Um, and that gives, I think, every, every other user something to aspire to, um, something to not only a set of sort of guidelines of like how, how to behave on the platform and, and how to get the most out of the platform and maybe inspiration as well, uh, but also gives them something that, you know, that they, they might, you know, become SoundCloud of the day themselves if they 
kind of follow that example. Sure, but you have to keep thinking about, okay, we need some, a, a few more iterations. We need something to keep that level of interest in our product up. We need to keep it fresh. So is there a lot of brainstorming around new features and what can be added on a, you know, in your six month, 12 month roadmap? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and again, the community can be super valuable there because some, you know, these people are using your product all day, every day, and they will have a ton of great feedback and great advice. So, of course, you can't build a product or a service entirely by committee, but it's very important to listen to, to what your users are telling you. And uh, you know, if, there, if there are things that are not performing as, as well as they, they could be or that are causing uh, like pain or um, frustration for your users, then you know, ultimately you've, you've, you've got to address those issues. There's something that you said in, in the way you phrased that question that, that I'd like to you know, sort of test, and, and, and that is that you said that um, in order to continue to engage users over time, you have to update the product and introduce new features. Um, I don't think that's true. You, you have to continue to evolve the relationship with the users. And, um, but it's actually kind of dangerous to think about it in terms of a feature race or a feature war because if you're just thinking about it in, in terms of functionality, well, I, have, I can do 10 things today, I want to be able to do 20 things tomorrow, eventually users go, well, what the heck, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do here. And what you really are looking for is um, to just continuously improve the experience for users, and often that means taking things away. And um, and you know, there's that's a really tricky problem, and it it speaks right to Andy's point about doing this in a dialogue with users, because there will always be somebody who goes, "Oh my God, you took away my favorite thing." But you have to look at the community and, and understand the community more broadly, and, and understand you know that if if it was you know causing nine people three extra clicks to get to something that they wanted, and one person liked it. That's, you've got to make those trade-offs. Yeah, sure. Lucas, have you had any use cases that you've reacted <coughs> to to, to fine-tune the product? So, I mean, first of all, there, there's no cooking book for it. Yeah, so th that's the downside. But I mean, that's why, why we're entrepreneurs, to figure out in a certain vertical and what works best. So I think it's very important to listen and learn and don't expect that what you do directly hits what you want to aim in terms of gaining new users or having the network effect. So it's, I think, the iteration of making things better. And I totally agree to Brad that, I mean, a community doesn't mean that you framework something for somebody and you don't give him the space to express or to share. So the, the heart of it is really that you um, let things go, yeah? even if they don't go right, yeah? then let them go, and if they work, and try to iterate <coughs> into certain directions to, impro to improve certain things. But um, it's, it's not the, the y you can't do a plan like, say, in three years, I want to have this feature in three months, this in six months, and this I will do this. It's impossible, because you s possibly it's the feature you never thought of which brings you the, bi the biggest uh, network effects. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have direct experience of that? Do you have an example? So, I mean, we luckily, uh, having this good product and having the competition which in this vertical 
doesn't address this properly, uh, we we gain this reach through recommendation. So um, we're working on network right now because I mean that uh, that we had to be bootstrapped, and bootstrap means um, you have the revenues and you have the costs, and if you want to invest into a team and into social features, you don't have a direct return on invest. And that means that we're concepted all these features which we want to go along with, but I mean, seeing the numbers in terms of retention rate and uh, uh, the <coughs> daily downloads, 15 to 25,000, this shows already that we're in the right space. So there's a lot going to come towards the World Cup. There's something happening next year, which is quite nice for us. I've heard about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, we're going to use this. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's quite a big thing to react to, I guess. Exactly. Yep. Lucas, you said something that, that I, I think is fun to pick up on, and that is you talked about sort of letting the community run. Um, one of the ways that we talk about these communities, if you, and if you think about it, if you think about any of the networks or the groups of users we're talking about, whether it's Twitter, Tumblr, Foursquare, SoundCloud, or the football app, is um, they, um, you know, we as providers for those communities, providers not, not even the right term, we create you, I shouldn't be saying we. We, <laughs> we are present at the creation of, we watch the creation <laughs> by the entrepreneurs of these communities and they, the entrepreneurs are behaving almost like governments, not like traditional companies. And Lucas was talking about, you know, and, and Andy was talking about trying to manage bad behavior, encourage good behavior. And it's kind of fun to, to sort of listen for the language of governance in the way these folks talk about communities. Because I, I don't know, there was a recent article in, um, I guess it was in the New York Times, about some things that were developed in, in the UK around nudging constituents in di different directions using, you know, very clever sort of subtle psychological approaches to steer but not to control. Mm. And I think that, that what we believe as we watch, look across a number of these communities is, uh, I think this was Thomas Jefferson who said, the government that governs best governs least. Um, and that's, you know, stepping back, not being too obvious, not constructing something that feels completely realized so users don't feel that they can engage or get invested in it, but allowing the users to feel ownership and then supporting that and supporting and, and then just managing the inevitable consequences of, um, you know, selfish action, whether it's a spammer or some other person looking to, you know, gain advantage in the network and just trying to create a great space for all the citizens. So you're saying next, our next career is a politician? That, that's where you're <laughs> headed. <laughs> okay. That was going to be my next question. <laughs> I'm going to go into politics. Let's talk briefly on mobile. Now, obviously, mobile is going to be a huge part of your business, and it's almost uh, as if the technology is caught up now to the possibilities of, of the network communities. Um, what does this mean for your businesses? So for us, it's 100% as we're mobile only. Yeah. And um, it was funny. I mean, I think also answering one earlier question, what makes the success of a company is belief in something wi which potentially happens and is not there. I remember four and a half years ago when, when we founded the company and we went for applications and mobile and football. 
that everybody was saying like, are you crazy? I mean, what is an app? And then the iPhone came, came out and it was only for the posh guys and it was like, who's using the iPhone? Yeah, I just meet a few people and we, we got on with it. And I think that that's also a part of our success that we, we can say we really understand this channel and we really understand what it means to develop a native experience for for a fan yeah or like soundcloud for a fan of mm. music or whatever it is and i think the experience is is really the first i mean if you download an app you open it it's not the content which is uh, which is important because you see it when you use the app so the experience is very very important and i think that wasn't that important in the web it's getting there also yeah. in the ui design and were you, ever, were you ever tempted? Did you ever waver and think, ah, oh, should we be doing a web platform? Um, no, uh, not at all, because I compared the numbers. I mean, I don't know how many billions of websites there are. Maybe we would have done the best user experience, but we would never got to our point if, if we didn't have any money to spend on marketing. Because the good thing is, I mean, we always talk about active users. In a download is already... A really high engagement. It's mm. you downloading a program onto the device in your pocket, and it's not going into the web and going to a website and leaving it again. So there is already high high engagement. So the the mobile space is growing. Uh, I'm not saying never, but definitely not in the near future. Okay, and Andy for. For SoundCloud, what is, what's been the transition for you or what's been the, the, the difference or the challenges in getting mobile? Uh, yeah, so SoundCloud has come from a sort of a different um, sort of point of like starting point in that it was originally sort of designed as a, as a web experience and then, you know, so it's like been an open platform from the start. Mm. And uh, we have widgets which are integrated with social networks. So really, uh, it's quite a decentralized platform, but it started out on the web. So, like, we, we came to mobile, uh, launched our first mobile apps uh, a few years back. Um, so, it's it's kind of, I think there's been a, a challenge there in really sort of thinking about SoundCloud as, as a mobile brand. Um, so, I've, I've worked in mobile for, for 13 years, and I think, I think one of the, the really fun things about mobile is that you, you never really get totally on top of it. You've got to be learning new stuff all the mm, time yeah. because it's changing so rapidly. And um, the technology behind it. The technology is changing. The, links and uh, the opportunities and the challenges are changing. But I mean, there's, uh, as Lucas said, there's, there's such a massive opportunity and um, the, the challenges change. But uh, I think with, particularly with, with music and audio, um, when you think about the fact that you can have a device in your pocket, you can carry it around with you all day, you can be listening to music whilst you're doing other things. Um, it's really a, a fantastic opportunity for us to engage with the user all the way through the day. Um, and that's really, you know, that's, that's really our ultimate objective. And, and certainly my objective with, at, at SoundCloud is, is to really get everybody using, their, using SoundCloud all day long, whatever device they're using. And I think the fact that we have websites, uh, a website and we're integrated with other blogs through widgets and you know lo lots of these other properties where people can interact with SoundCloud really makes that achievable, that we can really 
be this platform that people are interacting with from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to sleep. And, and I think also yeah. that if you take what, what mobile is about, if you, pro if you approach mobile properly, it means that you have to have native applications per platform. So figuring this out and having a mobile-only approach like we have, um, how could a publisher or the old traditional companies be in the position to do only this? Yeah, so it's a, it's a real te technology product approach and, and you have to understand every single platform properly with a native approach and I think that's very important apart from, from the product perspective. Sure. Well, thank you very much for that. We're going to wrap up now. I'm going to actually go to the audience for some questions. Um, if you guys do have a question, just raise your hand and if you could please wait until someone with the microphone comes so we can hear you. Okay, does anyone have a question for any of our panelists tonight? Good, that lady in the middle row. Hello. How important is, this, is it to engage users on an offline level? You talked about the heroes. Is mm -hmm. How important is that? Uh, I think it's very important, particularly when you consider SoundCloud is, is this community of, of creators. They're, they're creating music and audio, and often that's happening out in the real world with physical instruments or, you know, it's, it's recording sounds from, from a street or, you know, it's... It's it's really about capturing the sounds of the world and and then putting them in a in a place where everyone can access them and discover them and enjoy them. So uh, absolutely, it's it's really crucial to to go out to where those those sounds are happening, which is all over the world, and really engage with the people who are creating or capturing them. And yeah, we we see that as absolutely key. Okay. Any other questions? At one, a gentleman right at the back there. Brad, I have a question for you. <coughs> really interested to hear about your illustrious career in investment. And you've had so much success, especially with the names that you talked about. Um, I'm really interested to know, has there ever been um, an investment that you wish that you made that you didn't, that you regretted? Or has there ever been an investment or a story around an investment where you've learnt a lot retrospectively that you've used to move forward in your career? So what are the ones that we missed and what are the ones that we wish we had missed? <laughs> um, so the ones that we've missed, uh, you know, one of the great things about being in the venture capital business is that, that you don't have to have, you, you, you basically are hoping to bat 300. That's a baseball analogy for all of you from Europe. Uh, that means about a third of your deals have to produce a return in order for you to be successful. And if you... And, and you can approach the business in a different way as a result of that. Um, but so there's a lot of stuff that we missed. The one that really jumps out at me is Airbnb. Um, we saw Airbnb very early on. We saw it before their first institutional round. Um, and it had a lot of characteristics that we were really interested in. It looked like it was going to uh, disrupt a market to change the way housing is done, uh, to change, to, to, to shift um, the provision of temporary housing from you know, being provided by a hotel industry that has a customer supplier relationship with a traveler to one where there's a kind of a host and a, and a guest and, uh, and a much more broadly networked model. Um, there are a bunch of things, that, you know, I'm describing it now in a way that 
we came to understand better as we watched this market unfold. We didn't understand it completely at the time. Um, and the reason we didn't invest in it, there was, there was a lot of interest around the table as we talked about it. And I'm the one who said, I just, I'm not going to be sleep, I'm too old to sleep on somebody's couch. Um, <laughs> and that is a cardinal sin for an investor, to make yourself the customer of the product. Um, and that was the big thing that I missed, is that I was not the customer. Uh, <coughs> and, and so I, I regret that one. I could list, you know, there's, you know, uh, venture capitalists have something that they uh, call their anti-portfolio, which is the whole list of things that they've missed. Ours is as long as anybody else's. Um, stuff that we did that we wish we hadn't done. Um, you know, I'm, this is one where you probably won't be surprised that I'm not going to name names. Um, but uh, trying to think of characteristics, why we do certain things that, that we wish we hadn't done. And I guess one of, the, one of the things that has led us to make an investment that has turned out to be a poor investment is um, it's kind of the opposite of the problem that I just described. It's seeing something in, a, in an opportunity that the entrepreneur doesn't see. Um, and sort of saying, oh, I really like this because of something that I see, it's where this could go, what this could be. And so you kind of, you know, you transfer your dreams, wishes, ideas about where something could be to something that's unformed early enough that has the basic components but isn't um, what you are envisioning. Um, and at the end of the day, we are investors. We are not entrepreneurs. And if the entrepreneur isn't carrying that flame, uh, then it's a really dumb idea to, to wish that they might and to, and to make that investment. Okay, thank you. Any other questions? I actually have one for Brad. Um, we're obviously in Berlin and in Europe, um, and you have two investments here, Berlin-based investments, and I believe about nine in Europe. Um, is Europe a more interesting market for you guys nowadays, uh, more interesting than it was? Is Europe a more interesting market? Um, yes. Um, I mean, not. Uh, I, I suppose more interesting than it was. <coughs> um, the because of what we do, and we really only do one thing: we do large networks of engaged users. That's what we try and invest in. Um, those networks, you know, can be global day one. Um, I mean, SoundCloud has users around the world. Um, you know, you, you, you know, um, the football app is a big audience now in Brazil. Um, Tumblr had this really funny thing going on in the Philippines where it just blew up in the Philippines with, and w without anybody knowing. They were just watching the stats and there was nobody there. So, so there isn't any real geography. I mean, to the question of what's the sort of real world instantiating, what's the online, offline, you know, thing, there are certainly apps, Airbnb would be one, the, the, uh, the transportation apps like Uber and Halo would be others, where there is a tangible real-world connection, and, and, but there's a lot of opportunities that are really pretty global, and so... Um, but in terms of actual businesses and brands that are being born in Europe. Yeah, so, uh, the, you know, one of the things that we're really excited about in Europe right now is seeing um, really novel um, 
ideas coming out of Europe. Uh, there was a period of time when a lot of what was happening here was recreating something that had been built elsewhere and trying to capture one of seven or eight markets in Europe and then flip it to the original inventor and inventor or creator of the idea. Um, that is not very interesting to us. Um, so we're, so the, the great thing that we're seeing now is that we, you know, that, that fueled the early startup scene here and now I think we're moving beyond that and we're really seeing original ideas coming out of Europe. Um, but there's another thing that's probably worth mentioning that has something specifically to do with Berlin. And we're seeing a kind of urbanization of the startup scene, which is, uh, we think, fascinating and, and probably um, instructive. Uh, the, if you look at what, you know, we have 16 investments or something on the West Coast now, um, at least 11 of them are actually in the city of San Francisco. They're not down in the valley. Um, mm. The valley was the source of almost all of the innovation during the infrastructure era. But now as we move up into the applications layer and the challenge of creating, you know, engagements with users is a much more of a, of a social engineering problem than it is an electrical engineering problem. The kinds of people that want to take on that problem have an interest in people and not machines and have an interest in engaging with diverse groups of people. And so what we're seeing is, uh, you know, the emergence of, um, you know, if you look at what we would think of as some of the hottest startup scenes, it's San Francisco, New York, London, Berlin. Um, and so why, why Berlin? Berlin um, is probably one of the most fantastic cities to live in in your 20s in the world. Um, and uh, a lot of these really novel ideas come from young people who haven't sort of become accustomed to the way things are. And they said, why, why can't it be this way? And they, and they create new things. Um, and it's also very international. And so if you're gonna build a, a product that serves a global audience, um, the fact that, you know, in, in um, the football apps case, you know, Lucas has 40 or so employees, 20 of them are from different countries. You know, there are 20 nationalities in that office. Um, I think the immigration policies in Berlin are fantastic in terms of building a startup and they allow you to create, um, you know, to bring together this very diverse- It's partly a pain, but- It's partly a yeah. pain? Okay, well, anyway, <laughs> it's better than where <laughs> I come from. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, so, um, so we can expect to see a lot more of you here then? Yes. Very good, thank you very much. I'd like to wrap it up there unless there are any other questions. And just to say thank you for everyone for attending, Brad, Andy and Lucas, thank you very much for your time. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.